Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loris College. In this episode, Loris Professor of English, Dr. Andy Augie, joins us in the studio to talk about his time as a student and faculty member, as well as share memories of his father, legendary Loris Professor, Dr. Tom Augie. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and I'm pleased to welcome my co-host, Bobby Earls, Director of Alumni Communications. Bobby, welcome back. Thank you so much, Robert. We are going to have such a walk down memory lane today with Andy, and I'm really excited to talk about your dad. So thank you so much. No, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, two, well, generation, two yeah. generations yes. of uh, Laura's, Laura's stories here. So. <laughs> so, And obviously sitting in the studio with, uh, with us is our featured guest, Dr. Andy Augie. Welcome to the Duhawk Digest. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bobby. Easy to remember our names, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Anna, there you go. We try to make it easy for yeah. our guests. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Andy, so many times when I go out to alumni events, your dad's name comes up right away, and it's always talking about his class of Cowboys and Indians. He loved, they love to talk that about... That was probably Jim White's class, Bobby. <laughs> but that he, didn't one. he team up? Didn't they he? did for a little bit, I think. So maybe it was that they were, but those two... Uh, did work in tandem they or really did yeah. and and yeah. so it is not uncommon for us yeah. to talk about stories of your father and and yeah. it is hard to believe that it's been almost 20 years yes. since his passing yes and yeah. his name still stands the test of time with our, our alumni yeah. well i hear that uh, very frequently from alums when they're back and and have heard it you know frankly uh a lot of my life um mm-hmm. and it, it it's always a very uh positive thing to know that he lives on in um, people's memories. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a very, very um, remarkable teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he just had uh, an absolute gift. And the thing that you'll hear frequently from, um, or that I hear frequently from his former students is that he made them think. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a a terrific lecturer, and things were a little bit more lecture-based at that point in the educational system, but he also had a very, very strong belief in the importance of um, discussion Mm -hmm. and would ask questions that would provoke thinking. Um, So That's wonderful. Talk about how your dad came to Loris and and really how his career started here. So um, my dad uh, got a PhD in um, history. His Mm -hmm. focus was on um, modern France, and he um, completed his, from the University of Iowa, completed his uh, um, dissertation in France, in uh, Paris at the Sorbonne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had just gotten married to, uh, to my mother, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, during the time that he was there, he got um, notified of a job at Loris and took the job at Loris. So he was here for two years, I think. Um, I was born here. In fact, the night of my birth was, uh, he was attending his first Loris faculty meeting. So (laughs) there seems like fate is at at play in some things. He, um, I think, wanted to be in a place that maybe was a little bit bigger. 
So he took a job at John Carroll University in um, Cleveland, and we lived in Cleveland for four, five years. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother, who was from a farm in um, in Illinois, uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. My father was from Fort Madison. I think they both felt a little bit far away from their families. So mm -hmm. when an opportunity came for him to return back to Loris, he did so. Sure. And I, I never heard him express any regret about that at right. all. Right. I mean, I think it was, he felt like um, he was glad he did it and that it was uh, a good place, Dubuque was, to raise family. He was glad to be in um, proximity to uh, his family and my mom's. Yeah, and the, you mentioned Dr. White. He really came at a time where there were so many incredible contemporaries that he worked with, both priests and his fellow professors. Talk about growing up and being on campus and being around that <laughs> and hearing your dad talk about well, I, I think that, um, you know, when he would reflect on his time teaching at Loris, the 60s was a particularly um, significant period. A significant period, not just because of all the social things that were happening um, nationwide, mm -hmm. but because, uh, and, and this is in no way to uh, denigrate subsequent uh, classes uh, mm -hmm. from Morris, but he always felt that there was an extraordinary group of students that he, he taught during that time period. Sure. And some of them, you know, did go on to do very remarkable things. So I think that that for him was kind of, you know, the peak period in some ways. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I, Loris was like a second home. I you know, would come up to his office, went to basketball games, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it, it, it um, was very uh, opportune and um, lucky that I got a chance to uh, um, have my own career here. Um, it's been something I've uh, always been grateful for. Um, and it certainly felt in some ways like a... Uh, well, a continuation of things that had happened in my youth. Right, right. Is there anything in particular that you recall your dad sharing with you that was really particularly for him very impactful, something that really changed his life? Because he changed so many lives here at Loris through the courses that he taught, but also the guidance that he provided people on campus. Yeah, I mean, he definitely... Um, I would agree with that. And yeah, there was a time that I think was particularly challenging and traumatic. And that was um, with some of the situations that happened with um, black students on campus in um, late uh, 1969 into 1970. Um, I actually, in preparation for this, found a journal that he kept in which he talks about that. If you want me to read part of it, I'd be happy I to. I would love <laughs> that. Thank you. I want to make clear here that he, I'm not going to include most of the names, but there's one name that he does uh, mention, and I will talk a little bit about that um, after I read this. So this is dated November 23rd, 1969. The contemporary world arrived at Loris College Saturday evening, November 6th or 7th, when a race riot nearly exploded on campus. The vehicle for this um, uh, and I can't read Pop's word right there, <laughs> for, the, uh, for this riot was the ineptitude, if not the vindictiveness, of the Loris College president. Violence was avoided only when the president gave in to the pressure of the black sit-in in the insistence of neighboring colleges, the students of which were involved, that he do so. Generally, I was a bystander to all of this. Thursday night, 
was one of the, one of the black students asked me to testify on their behalf before the discipline committee. I left this hearing virtually convinced that no strong penalties would be imposed. Saturday noon, while getting my mail, I met one of the black students. He showed me a letter suspending him indefinitely. I was terribly upset, angry perhaps more than anything else, uncertain as to staying at Loris since the blacks were going to be forced out. Throughout Saturday, numerous faculty called me, most of them upset, although not as much as I. What I couldn't comprehend was how the discipline committee could have been so severe. I knew several were quite liberal on the race question. Furthermore, I felt that the defense made by myself, Bud Noonan, and um, the black students was very strong. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. So he talks uh, then about something happened in between and, and his reflections on what happened and his decision to, to, to uh, be engaged uh, more directly. Mm -hmm. My intent on, Saturday, on Sunday was to make it clear to the president how strongly I disagreed with his decision. I hope to get a number of faculty members to sign a statement to this effect with me. And then skip that. Through Sunday and Monday, it became clear that the president had actually overruled the discipline committee. One letter had um, sought clemency, but the president had been as harsh as possible. At the Monday night faculty meeting, all was peace and light, um, except for one faculty member, not my father, who um, took after the president. I was aware um, that someone could really put the president on the spot. Furthermore, I remained terribly disturbed, not only over his decision, but over the reaction of many faculty members who regretted only that he had changed his mind. He had originally um, was going to expel all the students, and then he backed off of that. Tuesday morning, my discussions with faculty members convinced me that I had to attack the president. The time of the last meeting was such that he was apparently um, trying, uh, going to get a vote of confidence. Also, Bud Noonan informed me that the president had insisted that no more black students from the Chicago ghetto would be admitted. Mm. All in all, he was um, whitewashing the college, and the black students were the villains. So I decided to attend the faculty meeting Thursday afternoon. The weight of the attack was to be directed against his consistent refusal to follow a faculty committee's recommendation, in this case, the discipline committee. I took the floor at um, four uh, to give my point of view. Apparently, I talked too long, although it was not, I was not emotional or vindictive about it. I received very little support, partly because the meeting had to end at 5.30. When it was all over, I was terribly shook up by it. Nothing bothered me so much, has bothered me so much since the death of my parents. Mm. Several factors led to this. One, it is difficult for me not to, and this is such a classic kind of thing for my father, it was difficult for me not to feel sorry for President Driscoll, even though I found him to be incompetent. Secondly, for several days, I received little public support so that I began to wonder if I had not made it necessary for me to leave Loris. Um, I am not a particularly tough man. I know what is right and generally have spoken out, but I have little serenity, little inward peace. This is a Christian I must learn. I must be less impulsive, 
less quick to speak. When I speak out, I must be clearly prepared to accept the consequences. I'd read that a few years ago, and when I reread it last night, it really, really hit me. And I think one of the things that hit me most is, even though he felt that um, Monsignor Driscoll was being terribly unjust, and I think he was, mm -hmm. that comment that he felt sorry for him just, um, to me, got to the core of who my father was. Mm -hmm. He was a man of not only uh, considerable moral integrity, but deep compassion. And um, I, I have to say, I don't know that I could have done that <laughs> in, in that situation at all. Right. Um, and I, as I was continuing to reflect upon it, I, I realized that while I certainly heard my father make many, many, express many opinions and, and critiques over um, the course of his life, I never once heard him say that he hated anybody. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. In his words, really, some decades later, resonate uh, hmm. with us currently, in the current situation that we're dealing with that globally. That is deeply sad mm -hmm. <laughs> that we are here Absolutely. 50 years later. And you could, uh, in some ways, although I think circumstances at Loris would be radically different. Absolutely. Radically different. Um, but you could, you could uh, yeah, it would, seem, it would seem relevant and seem pertinent. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, his words still have meaning because they challenge us to be empathetic, to be understanding, to be inclusive. And those are tenets that, as you mentioned, are current president and administration are challenging yes. all of us to yes. do, not yeah. only here at Loris, but within the community and beyond. Yes. And I think the other, you know, thing that, and, and again, this is, <laughs> improvements have been slight in the community. Um, you have to realize that at the time in 1969, Dubuque was an apartheid city, and these African-American students at Loris were um, experienced enormous uh, Prejudice, um, enormous uh, um, hassles, uh, to put it mildly, intimidation when they were out in the in the city. I remember a time, oh, it must have been about maybe 1980, when I was back home and a couple of uh, African-American students who had been at Loris during the period that Dad was writing about there came back to visit him, and they talked about what their experiences had been in Dubuque. And, and one of them said, when we drove around, we kept the bat under the, in the front seat of the car because we never knew what would happen. Wow. So the level of intimidation that they were getting um, off, off the campus mm -hmm. was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. When you think of your dad and the impact and legacy that he has left here at Loris, how do you... How do you describe that to others, and how would you define that um, as his legacy? I, you know, it, it's hard to uh, kind of boil that down to a few things. I mean, I, I think the uh, certainly this dimension of his career, his commitment to addressing issues of injustice, especially racial injustice, were huge. He formed uh, the first, you know, inter version of an intercultural student union. He was involved in that. Um, you know, it wasn't just this period. It was in the period years afterwards. He continued to be a very strong advocate for um, for African American students, but but not just for for them. I mean, you're talking here about somebody who was a very 
um, a really deeply intellectual guy, mm-hmm. a really, really smart man. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time talking to a student. Dad had set up, at that time they used to have a required history course, and, and he taught the European version, a kind of a world history type thing, if you will. And he set up a special section of that for students who were having difficulty, who were struggling. And this young man that, uh, I don't remember how I met him, I think it was through um, a friend, talked about how much dad took interest in, in these guys. And, and he said something self-depreciatory about his own intelligence and that. And he said he still, you know, took interest in us, tried to show us how to read, how to write exams, and so on. Mm-hmm. So that kind of principle that there's nobody who's really going to be left behind. Right. Um, it wasn't just, he wasn't just somebody who was focused on the brightest students. He obviously had a big impact on them. He enjoyed that. He enjoyed that kind of interchange, but he wasn't ever, you know, willing to kind of overlook then the people who were perhaps um, less talented or had more challenges. Mm-hmm. Well, and the influence that he's had on you, I mean, a lot of people might say, well, your father was a professor, it was a foregone conclusion, yeah. but that's not necessarily the case. No, it was not a foregone conclusion <laughs> at all. It, it happened in a very uh, uh, contingent happenstance way. I'm, I'm very lucky. I feel like I had uh, um, some guidance along the way, not necessarily from any uh, um, human source, but it, when I look back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own pathway was a much more tangled one. I mean, I won't bore us with uh, going through the various twists and turns of that, but I decided to pursue a graduate. I, mean, I started out, I was a biology major, I was pre-med, I was thinking that, and then I realized, oh, yeah, maybe that wouldn't be the best fit for me. The <laughs> world is, is better for that. Um, mm-hmm. When I have a bad day now, people are bored. Or at least there's no blood on the floor. That's so, true, um, yes, yes. Uh, and then uh, eventually kind of uh, through um, belated decisions, followed my heart and did a graduate degree at the uh, um, University of Iowa in English. After I got that master's deg- degree, I came back and taught here um, as an adjunct, taught mm-hmm. college writing. And uh, Father Barta, who was the dean at the time, um, suggested to me the possibility that if I went on on and got a PhD, maybe he would be hired at Loris. His uh, thought um, was that we were at the point where there were declining vocations so that you couldn't rely on priests to retain a sense of um, of uh, institutional uh, identity mm-hmm. and that, you know, maybe to recruit um, some lay people to do that. I've always been forever grateful to that. It was... Uh, uh, you know, an extraordinary opportunity, and um, as I'm now, you know, nearing the end of my career, two years away from retirement, um, mm-hmm. I, I look back on it and and just feel like uh, it was a uh, an incredible blessing to be able to be at this place and to be able to um, spend my life doing something that I love. Sure. Um, well, what was it like to actually, I mean, like grow up at Loris, you know, with your dad here? And then to, yeah, obviously you go away, kind of start forging your own path, and that path leads you back here. What is it like to actually step back on campus yeah. as a faculty member? What, what was well, kind of going it, through your head it, at that it point? It wasn't all easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that even though I, you know, grew up on Loris, I, I didn't want to come to college at Loris. I, uh, want, and, and part of the reason I didn't want to come here was I didn't want to be at the place my 
where my father was. I just mm -hmm. felt like that was, uh, you know, that was a, a long shadow that he cast. Um, you wanted to and, forge your own path. Uh, to some degree. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, at the time, um, we didn't have the very rich uh, um, tuition exchange program that we had now, so I really didn't have any options. Um, um, when I came back here, Bob, I mean, I, I, I think when I came back with after my Ph.D., certainly the weight of following to some degree, even though we're different um, disciplines, mm -hmm. that certainly was present, I mean, without a doubt. And it was, uh, and it, you know, I suppose in some ways it was a, a, a burden, but uh, um, I got over that eventually. Felt like I established myself on my own terms mm -hmm. and uh, had uh, my own uh, accomplishments or whatever successes that. Uh, um, so I didn't feel that. Well, and, and my father was very supportive always mm -hmm. of everything I did. Yeah. What a unique opportunity to work on a campus and work with individuals who worked with your father. Well, it was even, you know, it was a little, you know, more intense than that, Bobby. <laughs> I, I, you know, was working with individuals who had been my professors. That's um, right. That's know, exactly I, uh, right. Like I said, I was a biology major, and I remember when I came back, um, fairly soon after I came back, Father Barta became president. I had taken Father Barta for um, uh, abnormal psychology, right. I think. Um, uh, Kenny Krauss, uh, yeah. who had been my organic chemistry uh, professor, was the dean. So I was <laughs> working with uh, under um, people that had been my, um, you know, my my professors at one point. You know, most of that went went well. I mean, I would say I was a, a decent student, so I, they they generally were had. Uh, positive uh, yes. feelings for and, and they were amazing men. You know? Absolutely. No, so. I mean, it was, a, uh, you know, they were both tremendous uh, um, classroom professors. I mean, mm -hmm. both tremendous teachers. Uh, and, you know, to be able to then kind of work with them when they had moved into an administrative role was, was a pleasure. Mm -hmm. You then got to see your son enroll at Loris and graduate. So that legacy, that Augie legacy continues. Yes, uh-huh. For better or worse. Uh, and, For better. Uh, um, yes, when Thomas came here, it was uh, a surprise of sorts, but it was a welcome thing. He absolutely uh, loved every moment of his time at Loris. Maybe he loved it even too much at times. And <laughs> I, I've found myself, and he's a very outgoing young man, um, and has a lot of connections. He's been involved in political campaigns mm -hmm. um, in the community. So I find myself uh, repeatedly experiencing what I experienced when I was growing up. Are you related to Tom? I was and, just uh, gonna say. This time it's the uh, <laughs> it's the younger version of right. Me, so he reminds you a lot of your father. In some ways, I mean, there is a uh, you know different in, in sure. significant ways, but mm -hmm. um, he he certainly uh, has the kind of commitment to social justice. He does have, I think, um, some of that sense of, um, you know, deep empathy for those who are less fortunate. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember one time when, you know, there, there's a, a little bit of self-praise in this, but we'll, we'll overlook that. But he came <laughs> up to me, and I was, 
on his case a little bit that the grades were, and, and he was, he, he, he did all right, but he always could have worked a little bit more. And I was basically, you know, saying, you know, you, you really need to work more. And he goes, you have no idea what it's like to go to a place where everybody thinks your father's just great. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, actually, I might have a, yes. a sense of that. And he quickly retreated and said, yeah, I guess you would. So, yeah. That's, that's a wonderful backhanded compliment right there. Yeah, there yeah, you go. That, that's the best one you can receive. As yeah. you mentioned, and you reflect back on your career here at Loris, how has Loris impacted your life? And what, are you, what do you kind of take away from your time here at Loris? Um, you know, it, it's just had a um, tremendous impact on my life. I mean, I can't imagine my life, you know, without it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Part of it, you know, is the career. I mean, I um, love being a professor. I love the classroom dynamics. I, I'm really grateful. I, I guess part of this, it's a twofold thing. One is being at a smaller college, and then one is, is being at, at uh, Loris. I mean, when you're at a smaller college, um, and I remember my, my uh, mentor in, um, in my PhD program telling me I should go somewhere else. And I'm I'm really really glad I did not listen to him. He's a marvelous mentor. But you know, when you're at a smaller college, you're teaching a wide range of things. Mm-hmm. You're not just in one little niche. And it also gives you an opportunity to kind of branch out and explore, which I did um, when I got involved about 20 years ago in setting up a study abroad program mm-hmm. in Ireland. And I used that as an opportunity to then. Um, begin teaching courses on Irish literature and begin publishing in that area. So that that advantage to pursue interests maybe that you had but that you weren't able to capitalize on um, earlier in your career, that's something that small colleges offer. I think there's several things that are defining about Loris, and, and you know, not everything's perfect here, we all know that, <laughs> but it's been a very, very, um, a very good place. Um, I've always felt that I've been treated with respect. And, you know, when I think of the students, it, it's a range. I mean, some very strong students, some perhaps not as strong. But I've always said that I can't think of hardly any student that I've encountered, and, and this is going to sound kind of Pollyannish, but it's the truth, who wasn't a good person. I mean, I've mm-hmm. had even students that maybe were struggling were decent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been something I've been really grateful for and also, um, uh, you know, impressed by and, and I hope maybe even influenced by myself when I, you know, see students who are, um, you know, just engaged in remarkable things and who treat one another. I mean, it, it, that's one of the things that's always been evident to me how well the students treat one another Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And and I think that's a a remarkable thing. And Mm -hmm. it's part of a a community ethos here. I don't think it's the the case at every small college. Um, I I do think that we, um, over the the last 20 years in particular, under uh, Jim Collins' tenure as a president, I mean, he's done... um, many, many remarkable things. Jim and I essentially started our careers together. I mm-hmm. mean, he was an admissions rep when I first uh, came back here um, as a faculty member. And um, I, I, I think that he has helped to um, create a, a, a really strong atmosphere on campus, mm-hmm. a really positive mm-hmm. atmosphere. 
Well, I think you touched on this. You have had such an impact in creating a culture and a community that you define in your students of being nice and good people. That is certainly something that, in addition to Laura's offering students this education, which is kind of assumed, they actually leave with so much more than maybe the field of study that they came here to take on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's where the notion of educating the whole person mm -hmm. um, becomes really important. And, and, you know, sometimes it seems as if those are just kind of empty words, but I, I've never really felt that here, I think, for, and even in um, ways that are informal, I mean, I think it characterizes mm -hmm. uh, um, the institution. I, and I guess in emphasizing that, I don't want to downplay what you just emphasized, and that is the quality of the education. I've certainly felt that, and, and I'll make a, uh, a judgment here, um, you know, sometimes people look back and think of the faculty in the 60s and think, you know, oh, man, that was great. I, I think the faculty now is better. I, I, mean, I, I mean, that's not denigrating mm -hmm. people in the past. I, ju I think we have a really, really strong faculty and um, uh, people who are, you know, committed to teaching, but also people who are doing you know, very interesting things in terms of scholarship and so on. So I, it's been a privilege to work with uh, a lot of those people. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a family. You know, you're, when you think of your parents and their parents and where you are today, every parent hopes that their child will excel and continue to build on that foundation you've provided. And I think that's what faculty before you and staff and others before us they laid that foundation. So they've handed that baton off to us and said, go make it better. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, we're, we're building off of, uh, of a tradition. But, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it, the, the faculty has expanded. It's a lot more, I mean, I sometimes get asked, you know, is there not the same kind of community that existed, you know, amongst faculty in the, in the 60s? And, it, it, you know, there may not be, and that is partly because it's a much more heterogeneous uh, faculty. I mean, there, you know, in the 60s, there was a group, the Faculty Wives Club, that, and it was an important group, but I mean, mm -hmm. it was where the bonding kind of happened, you know, in a family form, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it sounds ridiculous to, to think of that, you know, <laughs> right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's a little bit more disparate, um, maybe not as, as tightly unified, but I think there's still um, a pretty good sense of uh, camaraderie and collegiality. Mm -hmm. Well, we could talk all day with you, Andy. <laughs> sure, I could. And, uh, we would love that. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for sure. not only spending time with us today, but just for your dedication to our students, to our campus community, to the community at large. We are so grateful and are eternally blessed to have you be part of this Loris legacy. So thank you. Well, thank you, Bobby. That's uh, kind words. Appreciate it. Yeah, Andy, thank you so much. And yeah, talk about your time, talk about your dad's time. It's really, and then actually even sharing that, that piece from his journal was really, yeah. really outstanding and timely. Yeah. Sadly timely. But Sadly yes. timely. Is yeah. right. Thank you, Bob. But Bobby, thank you again Absolutely. for joining me. Another great job. Such a joy. Thank you. And uh, thank, thank you to Trent Hanselman, who again makes us sound good with his production. And thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion. Uh, for more podcasts as well as Loris news and features, be sure to visit the Loris Daily site at daily.loris.edu. You can also find more podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so check them out. We hope you'll join us next time for another Dewhawk Digest. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. 
and go do hearts.